gas is getting fewer and fewer, and I don't want to think it's my teaching, but it very well may be. It used to be that people would take off in uh, April, but now in February. But we're here, and I'm glad for each of you that are here, and hopefully the Word of God might be a blessing to you. We've been working through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and today we're in verse 8. Again, to kind of just give you a background, the Lord is up on the mount, and that's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's come down a ways off of the mountain, and both his disciples and a great multitude of people are there. You can see in verse 1 of chapter 5 that there were multitudes. And he's going to share with them and preach a sermon here. Many, many things in chapters 5, 6, and 7, which comprise the Sermon on the Mount. But he begins at the very place where um, you have to begin. And he deals with the souls of men concerning their need of salvation. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. When a person can come to the place where they're spiritually bankrupt, that poor there had to do with just being destitute, then they're going to cry out to the Lord. As a result of understanding our nature, there'll be a mourning, and that mourning is going to result in being comforted uh, in salvation. That's going to create a humbleness in us. There's a lot of people I've seen that claim to be saved. I remember this the missionary's son, but uh, it was all about him. <laughs> and there was no humility in his life. And I realized that even after we're saved, we can become very proud. And God resists the proud. But People who are saved, there ought to be humility. It's by God's grace that we are what we are. And, and, and this salvation produces a meekness. And it should produce a desire to thirst after God and his righteousness. And then those are kind of all aspects of being born again <clears throat> on the process that what took place. And then we begin to kind of make a change here in that we see what should be the outpouring of the Spirit of God in our life. And he said, blessed are the merciful. We shouldn't be harsh or critical, judgmental. Because God showed us mercy, we should also be merciful to others. And we tried to speak about that last week. Today, we look at verse 8. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a statement uh, that we will see God. The invisible God, uh, but still somehow we're going to experience his presence and I've made some comments about that outstanding statement. God who has no beginning or end. God the creator of all that is. God whose ways and thoughts are so far above our own ways and thoughts that we can never approach unto his being. Yet a very personal God. <laughs> For thus saith the high and lofty one that hath an eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, 
with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. That God dwells with us, that we can experience him, that he's a, a part of our life. Um, you guys don't need to get a, uh, is it, uh, yeah. You don't need a Bible. You got it all memorized, right? The one day we're going to see the Creator. That we'll live with Christ. Rule and reign with him for a thousand years and then go into eternity. And so we're just going to break down what it says here. Blessed are the pure in heart. And of course, this shouldn't even need to be said, but we did. It's not speaking about the organ of our body that pumps the blood. But it's speaking of our inner man and our personality. Peter called it the inner man. And he wrote, Whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair or the wearing of the golden gold or of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. And he was addressing the way that women dress and adore themselves. Most important is the hidden man of the heart. And so when he talks about blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about our inner man. Proverbs says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so the Bible tells us, for as a man thinketh, so is he. And uh, we're going to, you, you know, you're going to see as you study the scripture that, that uh, everything we do and say passes through the heart. And uh, we, you know, somebody will say, well, you know, I was molested as a child and that's why I do these things. No, we, we may have been molested as a child. God is greater than that. But the, why we do things is because our heart decides to do that. that we, uh, everything passes through the heart. And I mentioned this before that people will say, well, oh, I didn't mean to say that. You know, when they say something that's out of anger or something that's harmful to other people. Well, yes, you did. It was in your heart to say that. And, it's, it's, and what happens sometimes is those things come out and we're shocked because we realize there's something wrong in my heart today. And, and so he's asking that, he's saying that we need to have a purity of heart and we'll see God. When I think wrong, it's a heart problem. When my emotions are wrong, I have a heart problem. And as we said, for a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so we're talking about the inner man. And when we talk about pure, of course, pure means it's clean. Pure water means it's unmixed with anything else. Purity is just uh, no contaminants. And so when we, when we talk about pure in heart, there's three aspects of that. And, uh, and we could say there's three, access, uh, three aspects of salvation. But purity of heart is positional. Purity of heart is practical. And purity of heart... I don't know how I listed that, probably eternal or ultimate. Uh, let's just call it eternal. And so let's look, look first of all positionally. Positionally, man 
he, he's not pure, not pure on his own. There are hearts that are deceitful and, de- and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Solomon says, the hearts of the sons of men is full of evil. Madness is in their heart while they live. Genesis before the flood. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Mark tells us, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. I don't actually, uh, this causes me to want to study a little more here. What is an evil eye? Uh, I know there used to be a little movie about some cats and the the guy had an evil eye, but it must be, um, well, something, This maybe so. And so when... It says, by one man sin in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. It's actually uh, a lot worse than what we sometimes think. The heart is evil. When somebody says, well, you know, he was a good-hearted person, and he may have been, you know, someone who... uh, treated other people right and maybe even gave them money and charities and different things. But nobody's a good-hearted person in and of his own self. And so, if water is dirty, it's going to have to be filtered and cleaned. But the problem is, you can't take an impure thing And make it just by itself pure. Impure water can never on its own become pure. My son-in-law that lives in Anchor Point works for the uh, water and sewer department in Homer. And uh, I went to the sewer plant with him. It wasn't a memorial experience, but you learn some stuff. And they actually filter all the water and try to clean it up, and then it passes through ultraviolet light to kill all the bacteria. And it goes out into the ocean, pure. You could drink it right out of there. I didn't, I didn't offer to have a cup full, but it's pure. But it couldn't be pure by itself. Decaying meat. It's not going to just clean up itself. It's going to rot. And neither can man, by turning over a new leaf, clean up himself. But purification of the soul has to be through the blood of Jesus Christ. Look with me over in First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one and verse eighteen. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, and that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls. We're talking about purification. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love for the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so through salvation, there is a, we become pure positionally. And, and 
when we talk about maybe another way positionally, we be, we become the son of God uh, positionally. That when I'm when, when I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm a son of God, and that's my that's my position. No matter if I sin from day to day, and, and the Bible says if if we say we're without sin, we're a liar, and so. But positionally, uh, I'm born into God's family. That's my, that's my standing. I have a standing with God. And uh, purity there comes through salvation. Titus says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so God is concerned for our inner man, and it's important to remember it's the heart that God's concerned with. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And that's when Samuel was trying to find out from Jesse's sons who was going to be anointed to be king. And they saw all these magnificent men, big and strong and 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 they've all passed through and 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 God said, Not them, not them, not them. And so Samuel turned to Jesse and said, You got any more sons? And he said, Yeah, uh, well I the youngest out there is tending the sheep. And he said, Go get him. And and <laughs> before that, Samuel thought, Oh, this is surely the one that's going to be the king. And God said, No. He's a he's magnificent creature. <laughs> he didn't say it that way, but he but he said, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. Uh, God looks upon the heart, and David was a man who had a tremendous heart, and uh, and that's why he chose him. It's not the head that God looks at. It's not the theology we know. It's not a matter of doctrine or understanding, though it plays a role, but it's a matter of the heart. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and the mouth confession is made in salvation. And so salvation is not just an intellectual assent to our condition. It is not, do you believe there is a God? It's not, do you understand that you have sinned? It's not that you believe that Christ died for sinners. All those are necessary, and, and, and we don't remove the intellect from the, the message of salvation. Some people, you know, like uh, some, some have told me, well, you believe in a blind faith. <laughs> no, I don't believe in a blind faith. There's many evidences for God, and, and my faith is not blind. It's built upon substance. But saving faith is not just intellectual. It's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. But you have to personally trust him. You have to personally repent. It's not the hands that God looks at. It's not what we do that makes us pure. Many people have isolated themselves from the world. Part of what the Catholics would do is they'd put a monk out, separated from all the world. And you read your Bible daily. But you see, the problem with the place where the monk went to separate himself from the world, he took his problem with him. Man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so isolation is not going to result in salvation. The problem is our hearts. And only God can change that. Look in Matthew chapter 23. Patrick, do you guys get one of these? Okay, they're over there on the back, back uh, table if you want one. 
Matthew 23 and 25 says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisies and iniquities. And so the Lord is painting some very drastic pictures here. But he said, we got this tomb and, and it's a sepulcher and it's all painted white and it looks fancy. And uh, people make a big deal out of what kind of casket you're going to be put in. And, you know, the mortician plays on your emotions. Oh, you wouldn't want your daddy to be in that that casket. We got a much better one right here. And you can remember him with good memory seeing this beautiful casket. It's only $3,000 more, but of course, it's for your daddy. <laughs> but uh, what's important is what was in his heart. And, uh, and so, we look at the heart. And so, is our heart positionally clean? Now, I want you to go to 1 John chapter 3. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 3. And we have a statement made here that's kind of um, head-scratching. 1 John 3 and verse 3. One. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, positionally. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so he's telling us, when we get saved, we're his. We're, we stand, we have a standing with him that is a kinship standing. And then he says, and every man that hath this hope, that we are saved forever, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And so practically, we have a, a pure purifying of self self what in the world purify yourself even as he is pure well it doesn't apply to positional because that has to be from God but he's saying that when we live our lives out if you're God's son or daughter, if you're God's child, live like it on a day-by-day basis. That, that, that it doesn't obtain our salvation, but it's what we should, how we should walk. He's speaking to our walk, our practice in everyday living. When I'm God's child positionally, I'm pure in God's eyes, but I'm still a man who resides in the old nature that wars with the new man. And I must strive for purity in my everyday walk. And so when he says pure in heart, it's not speaking of sinlessness. Some people have said, you know, if I'm just, if I'm just, Pure enough in what I do and how I live, then I'm going to see God, some kind of Pentecostal thing or something, you know. That I'm going to be among the few that actually get to see God. Maybe I'm caught up into the third heaven and I saw God. Well, that's not what it's talking about. 
because I'm, I'm still here, I'm still a man, but I need to strive to live for him. In fact, sinlessness is not possible. First John says, if we say, and First John's talking to saved people, if we say, John's including himself in here, so he's talking about saved people. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then that great verse next, verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I ought to strive not to sin, but I'm not holy completely yet until I leave this world. And so he's talking about this striving. Now, go over. This is an interesting verse in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, now we have this group of people called the holiness people, mostly Pentecostal. And I've heard of preachers that will say, I never sin anymore. I don't sin anymore. I just make mistakes. <laughs> I guess there's a way you can define sin or not. But in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, Not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect. So Paul says, I've not reached perfection yet. But I follow after, yet that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said, I want to, I want to reach the, the goal, pressing on for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God. I want, to, I want to be what God saved me to be, is what he's saying here. And he said, brother, I count not myself to apprehended. He said, I don't consider myself to have arrived spiritually. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. And so he said, don't become comfortable spiritually and don't try to camp on some victories of your past. But I'm always pressing on. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, and that has more to do with mature than it does with sinless perfection, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. What I want you to see there in verse 15, he says we need to be thus minded. We need to be, have the mindset that I've not arrived yet. And so when, uh, when someone says to you, well, I don't have any sin in my life anymore, I've become perfect, in that statement, he shows himself not to be perfect. What makes, it, what makes what he's saying here is that we need to come to the understanding it's by the grace of God we are what we are. And we can only, we can only be pleasing as as we continue to fight against sin in our life to realize that I am not I have not arrived and to understand it's only by God's grace that we can do what we can do and and I can only overcome and I can only obey and 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 graft into my life uh, Romans chapter 6 that, that not let sin reign in my mortal body and so maturity is understanding I need the Lord. <laughs> That's where we're mature. And so he's talking about practical, everyday pureness in heart. The pure in heart are blessed. Blessed are they that are pure in heart because they're the people God uses. Saul would think about David here. Saul, though he's head and shoulders above all others, was not made king until God gave him a new heart. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen that, but God actually changed Saul's heart. But then Saul got full of himself, and uh, he 
sinned. And he took it in his own hands to offer sacrifices and do what the priest didn't do. And he said, and, he, and when Samuel came down, he said, why didn't you do this? And he said, well, I waited and waited and waited and you didn't come. So I had to, I had to take it into my own hands. And sometimes we wait and wait and wait. And sometimes people waiting for the right person to come along. They can marry, have, lose hope. And so they say, well, listen, if I'm ever going to get married, I'm going to have to take this into my own hands. And it results in a catastrophe. Or I've been waiting for God to do this and this and this. And he's not yet done it. And I'm just going to have to take it into my own hands. Well, that's what Saul did. <clears throat> and as we earlier alluded to, where God told Samuel not to look on his countenance or his height or his stature because I've refused him. But the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looked on the heart. And so David was chosen not for his strength, not for his mind, not for his beauty, but for his heart. And at the bottom of that page, we're just going to examine David's heart. It was David's heart that said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and redeemer. David said in Psalms 26, Examine me, O Lord. Improve me. Test me. Try my reins and my heart. And when David sinned with Bathsheba in, in Psalms 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so... The pure of heart's going to confess their sins. David, when he was in the wilderness, hunted by Saul, prayed, My heart is fixed, O God. <laughs> My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. And so positionally, we're saved forever. But practically, we're to live for the Lord day by day. And then ultimately, we're going to be pure forever. If you look over in First John, First John chapter three, First John three and verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purify himself even as he is pure. And so we looked at that verse and we talked about it, but he's saying one of these days we're not even going to have to work at being pure. We're going to be forever with God in the heavens. Look in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. And 1541. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, or another glory of the stars, and one star is different from the other's star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption, is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. Boy, just think of the, I mean, we could spend a lot of time here just thinking of the great contrast of who we are and what we'll be. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit. That was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. 
and the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we, and as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. That's eternal. Now, let's talk about blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What is that? They shall see God. Well, we know that one of these days when we die, we'll go to be at the Lord. And John says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to see the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. Way back in the book of Job, one of the older books of the Bible, if not the oldest, Job said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. People who don't think that the Gospels in the Old Testament need to read Job. He knew he had a Redeemer, and he knew he was alive, even before he came to die. And that he shall stand at the latter days upon the earth. Job knew that his Redeemer is coming back to the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job said, I'm going to see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And so Job is just saying, I want to see him. And I'm not going to see him in a corporal sense. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. I'm going to experience him personally. And you think, sometimes, sometimes I get these stupid things, thoughts, you know. Well, how with all the millions of people in heaven that are saved, how am I going to, how am I going to have any time with them? And we need to go back to the sermon I preached a while back about God is eternal. There's no time. We will be with him forever. Now, so that's how we're going to see God. But there seems to be more than that here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Look back in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11. And look at verse 24. By faith Moses, this is a great hero chapter of the Bible. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he hath respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now there's a mouthful. What are you looking at? Don't, I'm looking at God over there. Where, where at? Behind that tree? No, he's invisible. And uh, they call for the straitjacket. What do you mean you're seeing that which is invisible? How do we see that which is invisible? Well, how do we know a moose went through the snow there? He left some tracks, didn't he? We didn't see him, but we know he's been there. Well, we can see some things invisible. And let me try to 
explain what I think this means. As I'm pure in heart, I can look at this world and see God. He's still in control. The evolutionist looks around and he sees that time and chance and a little bit of matter create it all. He sees that matter was here all the time. But when I look at the world, I see, uh, I see God. When we go into prison, we take some of the creation moments that Amy puts in the bulletin, Amy Flynn, and, and uh, one of them that we took last week, mold, uh, you guys know what mold is, but there's all different kinds of mold. But there's this one kind of mold, not a mold, but a mold, that has little lasso loops on its body. And when a nematode, which is a little tiny worm, comes by and it gets into that lasso loop, it closes down and the mold squeezes the life out of the worm and then it just, in its own time, feeds on the worm. Now listen, mold doesn't have a brain. How did, he, how did they do that? Well, he was created. It was created to be. Well, when you look at the world, you have to see the hand of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. When I'm pure in heart, I see God. When we look at when we look at the United States government, President Biden, our Senate and Congress, where if you would put them in a bag with a bunch of coal dust and shake it up and dump them out, they'd all look the same. And we'd get all cranked up. But listen, Biden's president because God allowed it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't vote and be involved in trying to get godly men into power. But I'm saying this, that God's empowered. And we can, we can see that. That he takes down kingdoms and sets up kingdoms and it seems as though, you know, I don't know if you can believe even 1% of what we're being told, but it does seem as though Russia's rising in power. Should that shock us when the Bible talks about Meshach and coming down, that Russia's going to invade Israel someday? I see God. And uh, when we see a drunk through the conversion of God brought to sobriety, his mind and emotions and wills changed, the psychiatrist sees a man who's finally pulled himself together but I see the hand of God. When I'm pure in heart, I can look back over my life. There was a point in my life before Susie came along that I was engaged to this girl and uh, I was doing, she was from Texas and I was working in Virginia with a missionary experienced church planning, and she drove all the way from Texas 
with her girlfriend to Virginia to give me my ring back. And I'm sad to say for about a year, I lived in self-pity sin. But let me tell you, man, I see the hand of God in that. I see God. When I think of where I was born and raised, that much of Eastern Oregon redneck philosophy incorporated very good into Alaska. When I went to Bible college and the things that I experienced there and the people that I made friends with uh, really opened the door for me one day to come to Alaska. My pastor in Dallas area, Garland, Texas, I was trying to do mission work in, in uh, the Pacific Northwest and at that time in Vancouver, Washington. He came out to Oregon on the, uh, to preach a mission conference on the coast of Oregon in a place called Cloverdale, Oregon. And so I drove all the way from Vancouver, Washington to Cloverdale, Oregon to listen to him preach. But before services one uh, the first night, these two women came in, young women, one of them holding a baby, and they came in and sat down, and uh, uh, a friend of mine and we me and Rich, hey, see there, look at, there's, a, there's some new girls there. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't listen to what he said anyway. But I guarantee you, my, they caught my eye. And the one that caught my eye that was holding the baby, I learned that she was the aunt to that child and not the mother to that child. And eventually... She became my wife. And I just see that driving 100 miles, I see the hand of God working in the circumstances of my life. Everywhere I turn when I'm pure in heart, everywhere I turn, I see him And I see that his promise that all things work together for good to those that love God. But you know, when I begin to lose the purity of my heart, the vision of God, the closeness that I had at one time with him, My obstacles become mountains that can't be crossed. And things come into my life that are like rivers that overflow and I can't paddle through. And life becomes a drudgery. And circumstances blind out who God is. But when I finally realize where I'm at spiritually, and finally in my heart and, and maybe physically get onto my knees, and I cry out, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've not spent time with you. I'm sorry that that uh, I've had these these sinful activities in my life. Forgive me. 
And you know what? I get up from there seeing God. That he's really sometimes the only one that can forgive you and forget it. And embrace us. And say, I am, you're my beloved and I am yours. And his banner over us is love. There's something to this. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Let us focus on the Lord. And there's many things that's depressing in this life. There's not very much in this world except his creation that we could see and enjoy the sun today. And if you're going to town, you can look over and see the Alaska Range. And we can enjoy those things, but, but there's not much in this world that's very attractive. But if we keep our mind focused on the Lord, blessed are the pure in heart. Let's not let this world and its iniquity and sin contaminate our heart. It does, doesn't it? If you're going to hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. But what we need to focus on is, is seeing him. And he says, extremely happy, blessed is the man that is pure in heart. That my, my accounts with God have been righted. That his word has overflowed in my heart. That the living water comes from my life. And uh, you'll find that when everything around you it's like a terrible storm in the Bering Sea, and it's about to seem like it's about to just come over and drive you to the bottom. We can live in the peace of God which passeth understanding. Okay? It's a heart problem. When I'm slamming doors, kicking dogs, don't talk to me today, I'm grumpy. Was well, a heart problem. And we need to get another vision of God. Okay? I guess I'm preaching now instead of teaching. But you needed it. <laughs> and I did too. Wasn't there a religion that they had the evil eye? And if, if they did the evil eye, then they cursed? I think that's on your dollar bill. I thought there was an evil eye. There was like a or something where, like, like, uh, Probably. 